Happy Easter, and welcome to The Word is Resistance, the Revised Common Lectionary podcast that explores what Christian scriptures might have to teach us about the work of our collective liberation. This project of Surge Faith is particularly designed for white Christians, white Christians talking with one another about race and white supremacy. The music on our podcast, We Are Building Up a New World, is a live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement, a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in 2014, led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm the Reverend Claire Brown, recording this week from my home in Athens, Tennessee, on Cherokee and Yuji lands. In the spirit of post-Holy Week and Easter ministry exhaustion, this week's episode is more informal, just a brief reflection of what's emerging when I sat with this week's gospel lesson. So let's turn there now to the gospel according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, They are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the marks of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Here ends the lesson. So before I turn to my main reflection today, I do want to note... um, this little phrase back there at the beginning of this passage that the disciples were hiding with locked doors for fear of the Jews. We know that John's gospel has a particular, um, I'd say, um, ethnic frustration as he's trying to distance himself from his own Jewish identity after the destruction of the temple and experiences of persecution within the community. At this point, Christianity had emerged as a particular sect from Judaism, and there was troubled relationship there. 
But we know, too, that the Gospel of John's language around the Jews and around fear and around um, his attribution of responsibility of the crucifixion to the Jewish community has been used many times over the Christian tradition to justify anti-Semitic violence. And that's just not something that we are going to do. We are going to acknowledge the context in which he was writing, the troubled nature of his own relationship, and remember that he himself was a Jew, as was Christ, and refuse any temptation we might find to fall into that form of hermeneutic violence. Now, that being said, what's really resonating for me with this passage is around getting people on board with movement work, particularly working with other white Christians to develop awareness and conviction for the work of racial justice and how that can be frustrating and it can be not on our ideal timeline. But before I get into that, let's go back to the reading and then we'll get there. Um, Our tradition has often given Thomas and his doubts a rough time, right? After all, Jesus also gives him a rough time right here. Well, you're believing, and that's all right. But Thomas, the really blessed ones are the ones who believe without seeing. Ouch. But I've always kind of liked his story. And I really like what's unfolding here, because I think Thomas offers us a really powerful image of witness and truth-telling in life and in faith and maybe in our justice work. And I think Thomas also shows us the importance of embodied experience, of belief with skin on. In some sense, he always, to me, has held a deeper incarnational awareness because of his insistence that Jesus is somebody that you meet and you touch and you feel and you live with, not just someone you hear stories about. Now, I do want to say that when we, when we think about his desire to see Jesus, that this is not some sort of voyeurism. I'm mindful of the ways that the suffering of others can be consumed as a spectacle, especially for the privileged and powerful, for those who are removed from suffering. But that's not the case here. After all, Thomas was one who had to flee or felt the need to flee during Jesus' arrest for his own safety. He was also at risk because of this. No, the profound witnessing that Thomas endeavors feels to me like a moment of solidarity that's deeply rooted in love. It takes a lot of love to look at a really broken and wounded body and not flinch away. It takes a lot of love not only to not flinch away, but to touch and embrace someone whose body has so visibly suffered. And Thomas knows that he can only really believe and get on board with this vision of hope if he's connected all the threads of this story. He wants to understand the full scope of what happened and really connect the trauma of what happened last week to what his friends are saying right now. He needs a physical understanding, a true witness to believe what his friends are saying, 
not to skip ahead to a message of hopefulness and happiness without taking account of the harm and all that's connected. And of course, this is a transformative moment. The church traditions tell us that this is how Thomas becomes a seeker and sharer of good news all the rest of his life in what we would now think of as South and East Asia. This stubborn proof seeker, when he had his experience, he was all in. He lived the resurrection all of his days. And I think this way of Thomas might be a model for thinking about white folks getting into anti-racism work, or, well, even in continuing our work. Just like we might feel irritated with Thomas for not getting it right away. Um, I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I feel irritated with other white people for not getting it right away. Sometimes I feel irritated with myself for not getting it right away. And yet, just as this passage is an invitation to honor Thomas's messy, stubborn, life-changing story, his experience of the resurrection on his own timeline and the process he had to go through to get it, we are called to honor our own and others' process of being transformed by a new vision and experiencing a more just world. There's a sort of experiential witness element that comes from life experiences or from committing to believe the stories of black, indigenous, and people of color about the alternate realities that are constructed by white supremacy whose whose function is to be hidden to white people. There's a need for us to see and understand that brokenness and not flinch away. For some, that takes time. Maybe they weren't there at the first opportunity, but the opportunity will come. And then, of course, there's a need to see and understand the incredible resurrection and life that's possible in undertaking this work. There are a lot of barriers in the work of white anti-racism. Just to see and acknowledge it when it's constructed to be hidden to the privileged. To know where to begin. To have grace for ourselves and one another in our moments of failure. And to just keep checking in and chipping away and staying present to it all. It can be painful to do truth-telling work that might be asking us to give up some of the poisonous power of white supremacy in our lives, to tell the truth about our families, to tell the truth about ourselves. But when we experience resurrection in this, when we are actually living in witness and solidarity with a liberation community through experiencing mutual aid or peace and justice at work, having a moment of connection to the movement, understanding in a moment of deep, visceral experience just how much life is on the other side. Well, that experience too can convince and transform our hearts toward resurrection in a way that a theory or a writing or hearing about it never quite can. In my denomination's communion service, um, what we would call the Eucharistic prayer, 
We say together in the service, uh, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We always are saying all three of those together, the suffering and the liberation and the hope of more life and love to come. When we white people endeavor to work toward racial justice and collective freedom, we also have to hold it all together, like Thomas. We have to see the suffering, experience the liberation, and hold the hope of more life and love to come. And as we continue our work and invite others into it, we can honor the needs and the stories of transforming moments of witness, solidarity, love, and truth-telling. Again, this is a short and sweet episode, but thanks for joining me this week. This week, as you sit with this text, I encourage you to hold in prayer the family of George Floyd. As the trial of Hurt's murderer continues, um, maybe this is a moment for us to be in prayerful witness to their family. Another action that you might think about is um, to think about maybe a story of your own need for a moment of witness, of your own doubts about this work. Go back and reflect on your own story, or maybe a moment that you're living right now, and consider the ways that you might see your own experience of getting on board with the work through the lens of Thomas. See how you've grown from there. See how you might need to offer the gift of the way of Thomas to other white folks in your life. Thank you for joining in this conversation. We'd love to hear from you and your reflections on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook um, and and just how you're doing and how this work is taking shape. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast is on SoundCloud. You just have to search the word is resistance. We would also love it if you would like or rate us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen and transcripts are on the website Blessings to you this week. May you meet Christ alive with us. May you be reminded through witness and experience of the incredible liberating work and force of life that is God's presence in this work of solidarity and anti-racism and resisting unjust powers. Thanks again to our sound editor, Max, and to the whole Word is Resistance team.